The Incomparable. Number 523. July 2020. Welcome everyone to a very special Incomparable episode. I am Jason Snell. Uh, of course, right? Um, no, I am Cicero Holmes. And we are going to celebrate and talk about, or maybe celebrate, I don't know. We'll, we'll see what happens. Uh, we will definitely talk about Spike Lee's latest film, The Five Bloods, available on Netflix. If you've watched The Five Bloods, uh, please continue. If you haven't watched The Five Bloods, go away. Because I'm starting the spoiler horn right now by saying... The Five Bloods, if you know anything about the Five Bloods, they don't die. They multiply. And I'm here with <laughs> the rest of my Five Blood brothers. Uh, first is Brian Hamilton. Brian, how you doing? I'm doing well. I found some gold bars on the ground outside, so that was a great day. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> well, uh, you know, make sure you make sure you give me my share. What? That's, that's all that no. matters. <laughs> Next up is Moises Chulian. How you doing, Moises? Gold changes people, man. Gold changes people. It's Phil Michaels, everyone. How you doing, Hello. Phil? Hello. <laughs> I, I was informed this was an Apocalypse Now podcast, so I'm right. very confused right now. Uh, well, you know what? There are some Oliver Stone ties in this film that we will uh, definitely discuss. Yes. There's a, there, there's a few references to, to um, multiple movies. That is this. correct. That is correct. It's, it's almost as if Spike Lee understands the uh, history of cinema. Right, but, uh, you know. That's just a theory. <laughs> that is that is just a theory that maybe we'll maybe we'll explore it. Uh and if you guys are uh keen to understanding and keen to counting, you know that we've only had four bloods announced. Ladies and gentlemen, our Storm and Norman is my brother who when I have night sweats, I wind up screaming his name. It's the one and only Mr. Sharif Jackson of SharifJackson.com. How you doing, Sharif? Good, 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 man. Uh, I guess if I'm Dorman Norman, Norman, I'm also Jackie Robinson. Yes, I'm also Black Panther. I'm also James, James Brown. Brown. Yeah. So I'm in. I'm in. I'm in good company. Yeah. Good I company. hope you're on this podcast longer than Chadwick Boseman was in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I definitely feel like it was just a day of shooting. With yeah, it, it really, it really, really feels that way. Um, but. I guess, you know, so we'll, we'll talk about the five bloods. It was, it was, uh, originally scheduled for theatrical release. It was picked up by Netflix. Um, and it was originally scheduled for a theatrical release after a showing at con at, uh, 2020 con. Um, but con did not happen. Uh, and movie theaters are still not happening except for in certain locations. Uh, yeah. so Netflix decided, um, to release this digitally and streaming only. And, uh, you know, much to our delight, uh, we were able to watch it. So I guess I, I want to go around the, the, the horn and just kind of see where everybody is with the film. Uh, maybe talk about how many times you've seen it. When Netflix and I guess any streaming service now is releasing things and saving, you know, specific other movies for uh, cinematic distribution when movie theaters are a thing again, I'm always grateful for one that we get new movies to watch because that's rare nowadays, but also that they are probably hedging their bets in terms of what will make them money 
which makes me concerned about how they view uh, The Five Bloods because I really, really enjoyed this movie and I wish I could have seen this on a big screen. But the fact that Netflix brought it into streaming immediately uh, rather than you know hold it off uh, like a lot of other studios are doing for next year or so, that made me a little sad because I wish I could have uh, seen the really gorgeous uh, you know cinematography, Vietnam shooting, and the larger-than-life story elements on a big screen <laughs> instead of just my, uh, my teeny tiny little uh, TV in my living room. <laughs> yeah, Moises, uh, what what did you what did you think of the film? Uh, I loved it. Uh, I've watched it twice. Um, in, in these days, uh, it is a little bit difficult for me to make two and a half hours to watch uh, much of anything all at one time. Uh, but a new Spike Lee movie is is appointment viewing for me. Um, they are not all do the right thing. Um, but uh, I would argue that in the in the case of a Red Hook summer, there is still a lot to chew on every time this guy puts something to the screen. Um, whether it was, you know, giving, giving the Hamilton people a lot of notes when he put passing strange, uh, on HBO and filmed it, uh, or it is something like this where, uh, he, he has crafted a feature film, which started out as a script written by other people, uh, for pretty much an all white cast that couldn't get made. And then Spike Lee went, Hmm, I think I have a take on that that is maybe better than another a bunch of white dudes war movie, um, which is subtext that is made text in the opening minutes of this movie uh, to my extreme delight. Um, one of one of my favorite of Spike's movies that is not as roundly acclaimed and so on as, as widely as, as some of his others is Miracle at St. Anna, um, which is a tremendous film that it seems like nobody saw. And it, you know, when, when you were a director of Spike's caliber, a movie like that uh, might get not necessarily a critical drubbing, but more of a critical meh. Uh, and it's something that's initially seen as, oh, well, this is potentially an awards picture and it's got all these actors and whatever. And so people end up not seeing it because it doesn't float to the top of whatever crazy thing award season is. You know, I, I think that that is an absolute shame for that movie in particular. Um, and in stark contrast, uh, as much as I would have liked to see this movie on a gigantic screen, I love that so many people are seeing this movie and talking about this movie that m- maybe, you know, had the world not changed a few months ago, may not have seen it in 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 quite the numbers, well, quite the critical mass that people are seeing it in right now and discussing mm-hmm. it right now, um, especially in this moment that we are living in, in the summer of 2020. Um, I, I think, uh, I think as much of a in the cinema purist as I can be in a lot of cases, I am arguably bigger, uh, a bigger fan of movies just getting seen by a bunch of people because it's great if it's beautiful uh, and wonderful and magnificent on a giant screen. But if I'm the only one in the theater, um, you know, I, I'm, I, there's nobody for me to talk to it about, uh, talk to about it. Um, and so I, uh, I appreciate this opportunity to talk to you guys about it. Phil, what what did you what did, what was your take on the Five Bloods? Very much enjoyed it. Uh, I, for one, am a big fan of the uh, the late Spike Lee career uh, appreciation on a wider scale that that's been going on the past few years. Uh, just saw it the one time because it is two and a half hours. It is. It is two and a half hours. Yes. <laughs> At one point, um, I, I did check the time and I thought, oh man, I am not going to be able to finish this movie tonight. I uh, there's there's still ninety minutes left to movie, and and then I just kept watching and kept watching and kept watching, and then it was the end. And so. 
it um it flies it does fly by and it's uh it, yeah don't let the um the running time scare you off and i say that as a man who thinks that you need to go to court for any minute that uh, a movie runs over two hours right <laughs> uh sharif what what was your thoughts on uh the five bloods no this is your first spike lee film so. <laughs> uh i also saw it twice um i liked it um though i have significant problems with parts of it um sure. i think over overall um, I thought it was a good film. Um, I think it had the potential to be a great film, but we'll talk about that as we get m- more into it. Yeah. Uh, so I'll say that um, my first, so I've seen it, I've seen it twice. Um, my first viewing, I absolutely adored it. It made commentaries about um, both uh, America's influence in the world and uh, also our understanding of American history and, and, you know, from this a little disclaimer, as I talk about black American history, I'm going to remove black because we're all Americans. So, um, so it's understanding of American history, um, was, was something that I thought was, was really important and poignant and, and, and necessary. Um, and, and, I really enjoyed the ride that I was on the first time I went through it. The second time I went through it, all of those things were still important. I enjoyed the film a little less, but I enjoyed the performances more. And, and so what I, what I think is, I, I don't think it's a perfect film. I don't think it's one of Spike's best. Um, but it is also, in my opinion, one of the best films of this year. Uh, so, and I've realized that that's probably a very low bar considering the, the amount of films that will actually, that will actually hit <laughs> distribution. I won't even say theaters, but distribution this, this year. So, um, but I, but I still stand by the fact that it was, uh, one of the best films that I saw this year. Um, so let's, uh, let's go through the plot a little. Um, you know, w- this film really kind of steps steps it comes out of the gate really trying to to throw a black fist in the air to 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 say you know we're here uh and you know there's not going to be any ambiguation about um who we're talking about th- during during the course of of this film. Wait, wait, you're telling me this movie is about black people? Yeah, yeah, it's, it, it is kind of weird. <laughs> okay. Um, but the thing that was, that was very, very important about this film was, you know, that it came out and, and touched on some quintessential moments from, uh, uh, you know, I would say a very turbulent time in, in American history, but every, every period of time happens to be a turbulent time in American history, but the sixties and seventies, um, opening with, Ali talking about in, in an interview in 78 about why he wasn't going or why he didn't participate in the, uh, in the Vietnam war. Uh, and then, you know, we get, um, you know, the Marvin Gaye soundtrack, make me want to holler is playing. We see, uh, Malcolm X, Tommy Smith and John Carlos at the Olympics. See Kwame Ture, Angela Davis, Bobby seal, all of these people, uh, talking about uh, what it's like to be black in America during that time, uh, as well as 
uh, images, you know, some seminal images from from that time period. Neil Armstrong uh, from, quote, unquote, the moon. <laughs> LBJ and Nixon both announcing uh, their res- either resignation or uh, uh, their uh, desire to not want to to run again uh, from the White House. All of those moments were uh, really kind of set the tone. Where where were you guys at at this moment uh, in in the film? At the at the risk of evoking a a lesser movie, it's it's very. Um... Uh, similar to the opening of the Watchmen, where you uh, use yes. the the history to kind of set the the tone. Um, unlike the Watchmen, which wrote a check that the rest of the movie couldn't cash, here it, it it's a, a lot more effective because what follows is a is a is a lot more engaging. But yeah, this it it is not a movie that it takes a while to warm up. Yeah, using all these iconic images and sound bites uh, as shorthand for where these characters were about to meet and spend two and a half hours with, uh, using that as shorthand for where they're coming from and where they really grew up and imprinted on the world and had the world imprinted on them. Uh, incredibly effective. I was not a big fan of it. Um, okay. I don't know. I thought it was maybe for people that have no, I guess, no ex- no or low experience with the, you know, being black in the 60s. And and I get that Spike Lee obviously is making movies for a mainstream audience, but I thought it was a little overdone. Um, and I, I would rather have the movie show me that stuff via either their conversations or like, like, you know, you know, via like, you know, what like they did with like Hanoi Hannah and like that kind of stuff, then have it kind of like, boom, here it is in like three minutes. Right, right. It's not very nuanced. Yeah. Professor Lee has arrived and, and get ready for his lecture. Yeah. And as overbearing as, as, as it, as it kind of comes off, I mean, that, that that's very much Spike's style. Um, but I, I'm, I'm kind of with Reef where it, it, it's something that I, I've, I've done all that homework. I get it. I didn't necessarily need the refresher. Um, but it wasn't, it was not so completely intrusive um, it didn't wear out its welcome for me. Um, like it, we were done with it right about at the point where I was like, I, yeah, I like, I've seen all this stuff. Like Ali was, was one of my entry points into understanding, um, you know, a lot of the stuff that was going on, uh, at this time. And, and some of these other clips I, I was able to, I was able to en- enjoy it. Uh, but it was, it was right on the edge of, of being a bit much. Yeah. So I, I think this was, this was, uh, I have a whole section about the directorial decisions um, and, and kind of the creative decisions of Spike Lee during his film. And I think that this was one of those things that is a it's this is probably like a, a spikeism that we that we got to see. And instead yes. of instead of seeing, you know, like Spike's very big on using archival footage and, and putting in stills of and he uses this you know very frequently in this film stills of both historically accurate events uh and moments and then moments of his actors made to look like they were historically accurate uh moments um these are things that he uses uh a lot in his films and this uh, the five bloods was no different uh when it came to that um but so you know what we got though was also we jump in on the film in Ho Chi Minh City, uh, present day, uh, with meeting the five bloods all together. 
um, you know, and, and let's just talk about them really quickly. Uh, Eddie was Norm Lewis. Otis was Clark Peters. Uh, Melvin was Isaiah Whitlock. We already talked about Storm and Norman. Uh, Chadwick Boseman, their their dead CO, uh, and and of course uh, our lead Paul Del Delroy Lindo. Uh, what did you guys think of the of the casting? Always delighted to see uh, Clark Peters in anything because he's 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 fantastic. Um, I really haven't seen him since uh, uh, Three Billboards, uh, which I didn't care for, but he's great in it. So uh, <laughs> it, it's good to see him in a movie I actually uh, enjoyed. Uh, giving a performance uh, that is uh, very typical of Clark Peters. Yeah, it was really wonderful. And I loved that they made the decision to use these actors not de-aged to play themselves in 1971 when they're yeah. going on their final mission as the Five Bloods. It's amazing. Such a wild uh, directorial choice to let them play both ages of themselves in this movie especially coming from netflix who you know spent a bajillion and one dollars uh de-aging robert de niro a trillion times in the irishman right i i had actually heard an interview with uh, spike lee on the on the kermode and mayo podcast and they asked him did you consider using de-aging and he's go no because i didn't have an extra two million in the budget and right. uh, <laughs> uh, uh, i'm gonna i'm gonna count on my audience being sophisticated enough to know okay now it's 1970 again and uh uh, we can pretend that Delroy Lindo is a is a uh, forty years younger than he is right now. Well, and you know, one of the other things that that Spike chose to do was film those those moments in sixteen millimeter, right, as opposed to digital. Uh, and that was something that he had to fight with Netflix in order to do. But you know, what you got was, uh, and it takes a moment to to realize this. But what you get is you get sixteen by nine present day, and then you get four by three during during those flashback moments. One of the reasons that sixteen millimeter was was chosen was to uh, reflect the film the film technology that was available in 71 well and vietnam was also a televised war right, right. so uh yeah it, it 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 has the feeling of the the tv news camera uh embedded with the troops and and sending the pictures back home on the cast one of the things that i love so much about this cast is you know in the case you know delroy lindo in particular uh we've got people who've worked with spike or worked with spike affiliated stuff in the past delroy going back you know a ways um but these guys they are they are actors who have gotten to play central or major roles in various things. Norm Lewis, I knew best from the 25th anniversary cast of Les Miserables, and then he was in that that amazing live production of Jesus Christ Superstar as Caiaphas. Um, but I, I've known his I knew his face before that as a guy who popped up on a bunch of stuff. These guys are that guy actors. Um, they are all black that guy actors, and they all get something interesting, something meaty to chew into. Uh, if anything, like I expected Isaiah Whitlock to, to have more stuff to do, I guess, right. in, in terms of like more dialogue to do. Don't you mean more she? More she. <laughs> I mean, he got one off. Right. Well, yeah, there we go. You go to the, you go to the who concert. You want to see Pete Townsend do. The right. <laughs> well, you got one and then, and then there's, and then there's one in the credits where, where they got like the whole crew up, up in front of things. I, I don't know if, I don't remember if it's before the, the Netflix cutoff where it started playing you a, an ad for warrior nun or something. Right. Um, right. <laughs> but, but man, Clark Peters, Clark Peters, um, you know, no, uh, Norm Lewis, Isaiah Whitlock, and Delroy, and Delroy Lindo, like those four dudes, 
um, getting getting this meaty of performances, get getting this much stuff for them to chew into. It's a blessing to watch these guys work. Um, is this one of Spike's absolute greatest films ever? For me, not really. Um, but that doesn't mean it is not good or even, I mean, I've watched it twice inside of a week. It's, I mean, it's verging on, on for me, one of his great movies. Um, and, and, and a lot of it is that he's giving these guys the opportunity that that guy, white actors get over and over and over again to, you know, play the hits from cinema history. Well, I'm sure we'll get into, you know, treasure of the Sierra Madre and loads of other stuff that is not just openly quoted, but like quoted, underlined and struck through, <laughs> like <laughs> marked up in every way, um, the, the way that he references it. But it is just such a joy to see those guys dig into stuff. Um, and, uh, you know, the Johnny Wynn as, as Vin, their, their guide, he's fantastic. Uh, Jean Renault getting to play a, a, just a, just a scumbaggy Frenchman, which usually <laughs> he's doing in like direct to video French movies. Um, and, uh, and Veronica go, uh, who was Paige Tico in the last Jedi, right. um, who opened up the last Jedi in, in, in thrilling style, uh, as Hannah O'Hanna is, is fantastic. And, and, you know, Chadwick, I, I think, I think we were saying before, before, uh, before we really got rolling that, you know, it, it looks like he was on set for maybe a day, you know, the guy's got presence to spare, um, and, and, and makes the most of it. Um, and the other part of the cast that that I wanted to mention is I really appreciate how one of our first um, interactions with with Vietnamese soldiers during the war is humanizing them, is them translated having a conversation about like who they left back home and and that sort of thing, and and I appreciate his looking at at centering not just one marginalized group, uh, not just one downtrodden uh, people. Um, you know, I, that's, that's something that the actors that are getting to play this stuff in this movie, usually they get hired for other Western movies to be, you know, guy who screams in Vietnamese for five seconds and get shot and that's it. Um, and I, I really appreciated that. Yeah. I think, I think the film did a, uh, if there is, if there is something that we can take away from the film or lots of things that we can take away from the film, but one of the things that I think we can take away from the film is, is how important this film is to humanizing the war, right? Uh, so this is probably the first American film to bring soldiers back to Vietnam. This was America's great shame war. And we've actually now have soldiers returning to that area, returning, you know, n- never having really uh overcome the the uh the effects of PTSD and then returning back to the place where they where they received that PTSD um and and seeing how much that has changed and also being able to see how that war has changed that entire nation from the landmines that are still in the ground to to just the psyches of of brother fighting brother as we as we get from from vin that his family was fighting each other early early in the film uh during during the during the war uh to to 
have that shown and and displayed to American audiences, or at least from from my perspective, it really gave me it. It, it really sat with me after I finished watching the film both times. Yeah, absolutely. One one other thing, and I'll and I'll shut up. Um, the presence of Tien and her daughter Michonne. Um, that's like that's that's a humanistic level that we don't that we don't get as something other than a punchline in other movies about the American war in Vietnam is that, Oh, these GIs were over there and they fathered children and whatever. Like it, it is allowed to have weight. It is allowed to have significance um, in another director's hands and another writer's hands. Maybe Otis doesn't make it to the end of the movie. Um, you know, maybe, maybe we don't get that kind of resolution. Um, but that, it, it, it grows in, in, in my esteem as the days go by and it's only been short days since I saw it the first time. Um, but I, yeah, the, the more I think about it, the more, the more it really resonates, uh, along, along those, those lines, Cicero. Yeah. I, um, I think that the cast for the bloods was phenomenal. Um, I think specifically for people that are familiar with the, um, you know, with the actors and their past work, in the same way that they were reuniting, you know, from their experience in the war, I feel like as viewers, we were reuniting with these actors that we know from these phenomenal roles that they've had in the uh, past, you know, like uh, Delroy Lindo will forever be West Indian Archie to me you right. know, from, right. from uh, Malcolm X, you know. However, I was not as happy with the uh, Vietnamese uh, casting, mainly because I do feel like it was a little wasted. Um, I feel like they had sparks of stories and ideas, but I do think that, you know, when you're making a movie about the war, well, it's not really a war movie, but like when you're making a movie that like has that as a setting, um, I think you really need to give these characters a lot more to do, you know? Um, And I think that while like a, Tien and uh, Vin and uh, even like Quan had had like some times where like he was able to like, you know, to like verbalize his like motivations. I almost wish that the Vietnamese characters had similar depth and time um, as somebody like Eddie, per se, who like didn't have the most story, but like had some story, you know. So like, yeah, I was I was especially on my second viewing, I felt kind of um I felt like the Vietnamese, the people that they got were phenomenal with what they had. And I just wish that they had more on that side. Yeah, it, it really, I mean, to uh, to mention a filmmaker I, I like less and less as the years go by, Clint Eastwood. Uh, in the case of Flags of Our Fathers and Letters from Iwo Jima, uh, it really makes me want that other focused perspective, uh, that like a counterpoint or, uh, or a, you know, other side of the coin movie focusing on that perspective um where it it left me wanting more from that too what did we think of jonathan majors in the movie he was a he was a mixed bag yeah yeah that guy i i he had his moments but he didn't entirely work for me i couldn't understand his accent right so like there were (laughs) there were times where i felt like it was a southern accent but then like it just it I don't know what the direction necessarily was uh, for Jonathan Majors in terms of who David was, who Paul's son was. Um, I did know that he went to Morehouse, um, but I didn't well, know yes. if he, yeah, they you made know, that like, very clear. 
there was a lot about that character that just how he wound up there in the first place was was a weird thing. He was concerned with his dad and he and he knew that there was gold. So he decided to come and get gold. It was probably a yarn his dad spun. Right. Back when, right. when he was growing up and right. Right. and he says, Oh, 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 he's going to Vietnam. He's going after the gold. Oh well. Not not on my watch, right. old man. Right. So he did explain that part. He did say yeah. that he read Otis's Uncle Otis's uh yeah, he, like, emails and email. he hacked his, he hacked it to his email account because it was one two the one, two, three, four, five. He had the uh spaceballs password. Right, right, email. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I guess on a you know maybe a single teacher's salary he was able to just hop up and pick up and go to vietnam um for an indefinite amount of time yeah i have a bit of a controversial opinion on david um i think he could have been removed from the movie entirely wow and i think i would have still had a similar emotional response to it aside from like being the link to um hetty i think her, her name was right I I don't think he really changed like the relationship between him and Paul was so back and forth that like I don't know I I originally thought that he was going to exist to kind of be either a foil to Paul or like show Paul's humanity or his change and I feel like I don't know I I I he didn't work for me as a believable character that needed to be in this movie like he didn't ruin the movie but I didn't. I especially on the second viewing, I was like, you know, I'm I'm good without David, man. <laughs> Phil, uh, did you did you care for David? A lot of the the complaints that you guys have mentioned are 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 similar to what I had. I think the character is necessary if for no other reason than it gives Delroy Lindo um, a, a chance to really uh, dive into his character yes. and yeah, the agree. the grappling with the issue that he has a kid that he has very um ambivalent feelings about and that is adding to uh the other traumas that he is uh uh wrestling with in his life so from 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 that standpoint i don't think you can entirely lose the character but it it it, it was just such an ill-defined um uh character to begin with um and too subservient to the dad, not enough of a foil to the dad, and it just it, it it didn't quite pay off for me. So, well, you know what's funny to me is that I think it all pays off once you understand the relationship between them. Uh, in in that conversation with Hetty, you know, halfway through the third act of the fact that his mother died in childbirth and that was right. the conflicted this you know and his dad didn't overtly blame him for it but he he definitely said that he loved his mother you know more prag- in a pragmatic way said that Paul loved Jacqueline more than David could of course because David never knew Jacqueline um you know she was dead the second he arrived so this feeling from David of having to live with that guilt made him subservient to his dad. Mm, yeah. And mm-hmm. he, he wanted to stand up to him. He wanted to be a foil, but he couldn't because of that part of their relationship. And I think looking back on it, once you, once you have that information, it helps to make that stuff make sense. But, 
in the moment, it doesn't make sense because you don't have that information. And, and, you know, you as the viewer don't have that information. And, and I wish they had either made that revelation or alluded to that their past, uh, sometime at some point during the course of the film, maybe in that first scene when, uh, David, you know, Paul confronts David after he finds out that David's made his way here. If they had that moment then. You know, and now we're living with that throughout the course of the film. It would have helped coalesce David more to uh, as as someone that was important and integral to to the film itself. Yeah, we never get that revelation until after uh, Paul and David are separated for the entire rest of the movie. And exactly. I, I agree. I wish we could have had more of those moments of the two of them together. I agree with everyone that David's presence in the movie is a little iffy, uh, but I can excuse his abrupt entrance and the romance with uh, Hetty that goes nowhere. Uh, <laughs> I can excuse all of that for giving Delroy Lindo even more like scenery and scenery to chew on and actors to bounce off of. I will appreciate that. And that scene at the breakfast where where it's the the him being scared <laughs> down by four very angry men is uh, is a delight. Yes, that was yeah. There was quite a few funny funny moments in this film. Um, one of the things that I thought was very funny in this film were the effects, um, and I think that the effects. Uh, in this film, and the budget was only 35 or 40 million dollars, um, which is, you know, not a lot of money in terms of Hollywood films, but the most expensive film that Spike Lee has ever created. Um, but, uh, I think, and, and it's funny, Moises, that you, that you brought up, uh, uh, the St. Anna film, Miracle at St. Anna, because that was another film that was another, you know, it was a World War II film, but a film where they, they, showed war elements and maybe they weren't as intricate, but I thought that they looked more natural in Miracle of St. Anna than, than in uh, the five bloods, but maybe that was intentional. Um, just the, the style of it looked very old, but I guess it was supposed to look old in, in those flashback moments. Um, but I, I feel like, some of that comedy was intentional because otherwise tonally this film would have been Schindler's list uh, because it was so heavy and, yeah. and you know, but like uh, it, it was, it was good to get some laughs in. Yeah. We'll talk about this later when we get to this, this part of the movie, but the mine scene had yeah. me in like it, it was physically <laughs> difficult to watch with how much tension was that in there and they yeah. need a lot more levity to make you it knew norm lewis was about to step on a mine you just yep. didn't know when <laughs> right like it was coming it was yeah, coming it was, it was it was definitely it was definitely definitely something uh so you know so we find out also um another thing that uh you know spike was kind of and to to sheree's point spike was kind of heavy-handed with with a lot of the things that he was uh that he was trying to give the audience uh in terms of in terms of history and and one of them one of those things was that black people aren't a monolith uh and and we find out that we find out right away that paul's i guess life preserving racism from vietnam has manifested itself into uh being being a xenophobe uh so much so that he is willing to uh vote for and still support uh aka president bonespurs Donald Trump, 
And, you know, to the point where he's got a make America, he's got a MAGA hat when they go out on, on the trip. Uh, but before we get to their trip, we find out that, uh, Paul doesn't like anybody and including the, the guys who offered them a drink. Was it unsettling to, to see Paul react that way? That, that duality between, between Paul's care and, and love for, for his brothers and, and the, the utter disdain he has for, uh, the people who are the hosts to him in, in, in this land. I mean, honestly, I felt like Paul vocalized it, but I feel like everyone kind of had that feeling. I mean, that was one of my main problems with this film was that, um, like, like, you know, they, they were there on a mission, right? I mean, like they were there to like get Norm's bones and get the gold. So it's not like they were there out of some altruistic, like we love the Vietnamese culture or like we're here to connect with the people or we're like humanizing them. Now, Paul was obviously the most, um, outwardly, you know, I guess, quote unquote, magified of it <laughs> where like he was like you know uh you know uh you know like saying and like doing things but i never got a sense that anybody else uh couldn't be thinking the same thing they were just being quiet about it because they were there on a mission so i so i i, I, I don't really see a discrepancy really i felt like um the characters it was hard for me to really fall in love with the characters because I felt like they were, they were there to get something that, you know, wasn't theirs, right. It was promised to the, to the Vietnamese kind of government. And I didn't get a sense that any of them had any respect for, um, the culture. It was just that Paul, you know, obviously has his demons and, and, uh, couldn't really keep that in check. Yeah. We spend so much time in this movie sitting with the discomfort that these black men were fighting a war for, you know, white politicians and a white president that they are, they're not, not as invested in this war as, you know, the people back home and reconciling with how, you know, they feel all this time, all this time on. And coming back to the country, you know, they're using uh, racial slurs against Vietnamese people and, you know, taking something that was part of their land and part of something that was promised to them. This is part of the exercise of watching this movie is <laughs> sitting with that discomfort and trying to piece it together with these people that, you know, we are ostensibly rooting for in this movie. We hope they don't die, even though most of them do. And it's a it's a difficult thing to to navigate. This mostly echoes stuff that that other folks have said, but it's it's interesting that for me, I went in as blind as I possibly could um, to you know plot points and who was what you know Delroy right. Lindo had already gotten loads of acclaim and all that kind of stuff, and I didn't know going in, but I started to have some suspicions, and then that hat got on, and I went okay. Right. Okay, this is going to be interesting. And also thinking about the other guys, initially making the assumption of, oh, like, you know, some other, you know, Vietnam Vietnam veterans, or at least the way that they have been portrayed, there is that kind of, you know, peace accord, you know, people seeing themselves as on, you know, opposite sides of a conflict caused by somebody else. Um, but yeah, these guys have not, have not uh, completely let go 
of a bunch of stuff and, right. and their varying levels of how much they show it. And, um, you know, with regard to the way that they see the Vietnamese people, you could say that, that, uh, I don't, well, I, I don't know. I, I, maybe for viewing three, I'll, I'll pay closer attention and think about it, but <laughs> you know, a, a good chunk of them, if not all of them, you know, maybe with the exception of Eddie, um, you know, th- they're not that far from how they thought about these folks 50 years before when they were fighting that war. Um, and it, it, that's something that I wasn't expecting. And it made, it made the movie more interesting to me because these guys were not magically, um, uh, you know, healed of, of that kind of intolerance. Right. Um, right. you know, that it, 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 it bugged me at first and I found that it was, it was bugging me because, you know, I don't like seeing that kind of intolerance, not because it read as inauthentic. Um, so yeah, it, it, it was uncomfortable. Um, but I appreciated what the movie itself did to draw some more of those parallels. But I, I um, you know, the echoing Sharif again, I wanted more, I like, I wanted a whole movie about that kind of stuff and I didn't want it just creeping in, in the edges, but this movie had a lot of story to tell about these guys. So as unfair as it was to a whole nation of people, um, I get why he made the choices that he did. I mean, that's, that's filmmaking. You don't have a million perfect decisions that you can make. Uh, in fact, you generally don't have any perfect decisions. Um, and, and with the flawed decisions that he, he, he had to choose, that's, that's one that I can, I can forgive on Spike's part. Um, but yeah, it, it, it does make me want, you know, I, I liked how much they referred to it as the American war and it just made me hunger for that perspective yet more. There's a moment where Hanoi Hanna in a flashback says uh, something along the lines of, hey, we're dedicating this Marvin Gaye record to the uh, black inventory members of, uh, of, of the, the big red one. Yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. And it, she says, we sympathize with the black soldiers here in Vietnam. You're fighting a war that is not yours to fight. You're fighting for white people back home who right. wouldn't even dream of leaving America. And I never saw that same kind of understanding and sympathy extended from the the main characters to the Vietnamese people. Right. Yeah. I th- I think the film did a good job or at least this is this is what and you know I brought there's definitely baggage that I brought to the film uh having been uh I have had two uncles who were Vietnam vets and um you know and and have given you know i've had conversations with them and other vietnam vets about their time in the war and and um their feelings especially soldiers of color uh their feelings about going to war and then coming home and and dealing with all of that um so the and maybe you know maybe i imprinted the information that i had already come to the film with onto these characters but i like i felt like the the characters felt like this was a thing that was happening to them that they were drafted that they you know they didn't ask to come here had they you know had they been given the choice they definitely would not be here uh and so the things that they did they felt like they were doing because they had to and it you know as as weird and as perverse as this sounds it wasn't personal like it was just a thing they had to do with the exception of Paul. 
Um, and, and, you know, and that's the way I viewed it, but that, that could, you know, it definitely could have been some of the baggage that I brought with, with me into the film. Yeah. I mean, we all bring baggage, you know, it's, it's all subjective. So I, I think the way you're saying is perfectly fine for your viewing of it. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you very much, Reef. I, I appreciate that. I also don't like you. All right. Well, that's, that's, that's also fair. <laughs> you know, so we get our first flashback. We, we see the helicopter storm in. Um, I forget what song was playing, but it was definitely an iconic song that was playing during, during this moment. The helicopter comes and it's, it's kind of shaky, like it's on a wire. Uh, it gets, uh, shot with in the, in the tail with an RPG and it crashes kind of uh, to me it kind of looked like a universal studios ride from the 80s uh where you know the helicopter crashed and then there was you know lots of uh gun battles and explosions and the explosions look great um but we finally got to see Chadwick Boseman on his one day of shooting uh and he was as as someone also uh, you know had, had uh said before he was phenomenal um you know, Chadwick being Chadwick and, you know, they find the gold and uh, they were supposed to give it to, to some people, but decided, hey, you know what? Uh, we're we've been we we didn't ask to be here. So we're going to go back and we're going to help our people with this with this gold uh, that they go and bury. And it's it is definitely something that is haunting all of them to the point where. Uh, they've got to figure out how they're going to get rid of this gold or, or get the gold back to the United States. And that's when we get to meet, uh, DeRoche, uh, Jean Renault, uh, Jean Renault, who is, uh, you know, he's everybody's professional. Uh, and, and in this, in this film, he's a professional dick. Unrecognizable if you have Jean Renault frozen in your mind from Ronan. I just right. want to say, <laughs> right. I mean, we all get older, but, uh, <laughs> boy, oh boy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I, want, I want to talk about like right before you get to that scene. So the flashback itself. Yeah, I think Spike got a little too. I want to make a cool war segment mm-hmm. um, for this. Um, I don't think the movie necessarily benefited from showing just Vietnamese after Vietnamese getting shot in the head over and over again. Sure. Um, I don't think it really furthered anything about the movie. I think from their recollections of Norman, you already knew that he was a great. Uh, you know, like military leader. And I'm assuming that that's why they had this to show him kind of like lead this team. But it felt really tonally off to me. Um, yeah, I, I I wasn't a fan of uh, it almost seems like he was trying to make a different kind of movie in those flashbacks, um, um, including the other flashback where they kind of surprise that group of Vietnamese folks in the grass. And it was just like pretty, you know, it was pretty, uh, I mean, they were trying to show like the horrors of war and show Norman's like leadership, but I feel like for the movie that they were trying to make, it 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 it, it fell off to me. And I, I think I think you're right, Sharif. I think that uh, that Spike was trying to make another kind of movie. He was trying to make his version like so. Oliver Stone was originally pegged to film this movie when it was called uh, something else. I think it was the last the last tour um and uh and eventually it it got rewritten and it wound up in spike's hands and now we've got the five bloods he completely reworked it but i think what we got to see here was his take on oliver stone his take on 
you know, uh, platoon or apocalypse yes. now or, 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 um, in, in those little moments. So what did you guys think of, of the, the cinematography jambalaya that was, <laughs> that was Spike Lee's kind of directing style in this film? Uh, uh, Phil, what did, what did you think of that? It's something I, I just associate with Spike Lee. He's, he's such a, a, a film student at heart that he's always just, um, uh, done remixes, um, and, and, and mismashes of, of films that have influenced him or films that he likes, putting his own spin on them, of course, and, right. and bringing his own, uh, his own thing to the, 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 the table. But, you know, when you, when you have the boat leaving Ho Chi Minh City and, and Ride of the right. Valkyries playing, right. it's, um, right. it's, it's, it's clear what he's drawing on there, right. even right. for a simpleton such as myself. But no, no, I, 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 it, it works for me, but it's just, it's a, it's a, style that when i go into a spike lee movie i know what i'm i'm gonna gonna get visually yeah i'll never begrudge spike lee for having a little fun for a few days and shooting a movie like a fan film of apocalypse now or platoon mm-hmm. or things like that right yeah. <laughs> moises uh were, were you a fan of uh flight of the valkyries it made me laugh I was like, okay, uh, you know, I, I, I enjoy just kind of throwing this away as, 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 you know, all right, now we're going to play the Magnificent Seven theme as they ride right. off. Um, but, but it's, you know, some old dudes on a tour boat. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. No fortunate son in this movie, I noticed. Yeah. <laughs> it's the only bingo card, uh, box yeah. that didn't check. Uh, no, there was no good morning Vietnam shout out either. Mm. <laughs> we did, we did, uh, we did get, uh, we don't need no stinking official badges, which <laughs> we might be getting ahead of ourselves. But the, um, however much of the uh, of the original movie remains, the the gold can change a man um, element of the movie was the one part that that landed with a a thud for me. I thought the um, uh, five bloods worked best when it was a. a, a um, motion picture about trauma, motion picture about people coming to terms with with who they are and what the war made out of them, and and the uh, the uh, treasure of the Sierra Madre Hanoi style uh, 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 didn't quite have the same resonance. That felt like a um, a remix too many. So this movie was written by two white people, originally going to be directed by Oliver Stone, and I like that you know they came up with this story about people finding gold while they're on tour in Vietnam, and then Spike. Likely reads it and says, hmm, you're missing something? Anything you want to throw in there? Reparations. This can be reparations for right. the black community, uh, which right. is another thing that uh, their xenophobia is clouding because this gold was supposed to go to Vietnamese people, but instead they look at it, see the U.S. stamp on it, like they mentioned later in the movie, and say, no, this is from America. This is American gold. Therefore, we're claiming this as our gold. We're going to redistribute the wealth. And I thought it was a really nice way to highlight the difference between what this movie could have been and what this movie went wound up being uh under spike lee very true. yeah that's a great very point yeah I'll, I'll be honest with you my hatred of oliver stone uh <laughs> does figure somewhat <laughs> in my love of this movie knowing knowing that it was it was it was something that uh that that was that was made a certain way I, yeah i can't i can't uh i can't divorce myself from from enjoying the fact that this was this was spike getting to uh remix oliver stone without his permission <laughs> um, that just delights me to know it. Like, again, I know Spike is not one for conciseness, 
Um, but at the same time, I, I just feel like I have to speak on that, that I felt like it, you know, like when I look at the running time and I look at the fact that they're, as, as I said, I felt that the Vietnamese characters could have been, uh, delved into a little more. Um, like when I see stuff like that, I'm like, man, like, you know, just get rid of this stuff and take David out the movie right. and then we're right. good, <laughs> you know? And then there's some time to like delve more. Like I would like Tien to me was so fascinating right. as a character. And I feel like I was like, wow, like she could have used 20 more minutes of screen time. I would green light the Sharif directing the TN movie like mm-hmm. immediately. Yeah. If I were yeah, Netflix. Let's Hell, it's Netflix. Make it a series. Far right. fewer uh, French minesweepers, I would right. say, right. Um, <laughs> in, in, in my remix of the movie. Right. So, yeah, let's let's dive into that a little. Uh, that that entire bar scene, um, this the there was there was a lot of there was a lot of filler in this film um even though it did feel like you know when it picked up it did pick up and it, and it moved um but there was nothing wasted uh you know i i called this i called it cinematography jambalaya but but the film itself was gumbo um, because they used all the ingredients they just threw it all in a pot the david hetty encounter was completely random um that entire bar scene for me seemed very very weirdly jammed in there for exposition but but the the uh the fact that the rest of the bloods were at the bar made made no sense narratively to the point when melvin gets drunk and does something with the girls you don't understand what's happening or why it happened in the first place i mean i feel like that just happened because the french jews were making the point about americans not being smart and voting for trump and i feel like they just put that like again spike lee's not one for being the concise he just wanted to show you an example of an embarrassing american that's that's what i felt like that that was for i agree though that that whole scene seemed weird and um to me you know they were look i feel like they were looking for things to david like to do you know um i almost yeah. wouldn't be like surprised if the entire character of hetty came up because they were like we need something for david to do um let's have him meet, meet, meet this french woman <laughs> yeah we need we need we need landmine activists and, right <laughs> uh, we need a hetty lamar reference yes oh it also introduces yes. Chekhov's landmine where you know when the, the land <laughs> when the minesweepers show up you know that someone's stepping on the landmine at some point right, in that movie right. <laughs> i'm like oh shoot who's gonna die first who's gonna step on a landmine first and that that, that was the other thing is the, the 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 lantern hanging of it it made me go hmm so Paul's son is going to step on a landmine and they have to save him. And he's definitely going to make it through the end of the movie. And I don't like that I'm predicting this, but that's ah, fine. Yeah, it's fine. Like I found myself, I found myself saying stuff like that as, as stuff like the, I would say this is the most egregious uh, bit of it for me <laughs> where I'm like, all right, I see where you're going. The, the late career stuff that spike uh, this, well, this later, this current period of spike's career, not to say that he's remotely done making movies. Um, the thing that I find most interesting about it is it's like, and it's kind of how I felt about Scorsese with Wolf of wall street, where it's like the energy of a film student 
and also the give no Fs of a film student in some respects where it's like, yeah, they get the, the, I mean, he, he knows how pat some of this dialogue is and he knows how much you can telegraph and, and read where he's going in various respects a mile out. He doesn't care. And I respect that. <laughs> I respect, <laughs> I respect not giving a shit about that. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's accurate. Like, I, I don't even know if there's anything else that I can say about that. Um, but yeah, it is, it is definitely accurate. I don't know if I was just not paying as much attention as everyone else, but it took me another, I don't know, half hour or so while they were already in the jungle for me to remember, oh my God, there's landmines out here. Ah, and I, right. I didn't think of Chekhov's <laughs> landmine in the moment. So for me, that moment landed. I guess I was the target audience. Right. <laughs> I, I I agree that the dialogue there is not great and they didn't need to spend that much time just beating over the Americans are dumb voting for Trump kind of thing. Uh, but I will always, always, always relish and uh, never begrudge anyone for writing hangout dialogue. It's fun to write. It's fun to film. I, that's that's fine. Even if it's not good dialogue that you know <laughs> could be cut from the movie. Right. I still appreciate that Spike found the time to throw this in there. That yeah. was the uh, point in the movie when I actually was checking the time and seeing how much yeah. was left and going, oh, no. Right, right. <laughs> uh, yeah, actually, I think I did. I did the same thing around the same time and, and was and was very dismayed at the fact that I still had 60 percent of this film. to compare. Uh, Yeah, I was, I was like, but people said this was really good. Yeah, what? Yeah. yeah. Uh huh. And and then you know what? And then the film gets really good uh you know then it gets really good and, and you you get a lot you get to see uh once these guys get into the quote-unquote bush once they get into in country um you can almost see and then of course the score uh does does its job of of making sure and and you know props to terrence blanchard um for for the score but the score you know you get the drum beats that that are reminiscent of any military uh any military score when when the guys are going out and doing their thing but that score uh coupled with the actions of the actors really gave you a sense it really led me to believe that these guys were once stationed there and were and you know had been there before and and knew what to do um i i thought they did a really good job of that was a great job of shooting and a great job of acting yeah i, I remember checking uh especially on the second watch the scene where they um find norm is like literally like exactly in the middle of the movie Right. Like, like not, not only does it metaphorically split the, split the movie in two, it's like almost time-wise. It, it, it like splits it exactly in two. I also want to call out one of my favorite stylistic moments of the whole movie, which happens right here as soon as Vin drops them off in the jungle. Uh, they start singing a Marvin Gaye song along with the soundtrack. Like it's yeah. playing it, yes. in the soundtrack, yes. but then all the characters are singing along with this non-diegetic music and the film student in me screamed in joy. Yes. Did they isolate the vocal track on the Marvin Gaye? Uh, they did. Yeah. They isolated yeah, the vocal track for what's going on. Yeah, it was acapella. Later in the film, or just, like just after that moment, uh, you know, the moment that we were talking about before when they were w hiking on the trail, it was very kind of uh, standby me ish. Yeah, man. And like 
the the thing I loved most about isolating isolating the the vocals on what's going on was if 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 I love the movie for one reason, it's that, right. <laughs> and and yeah. I love it for various other reasons. It is Spike Lee going, oh yeah, by the way, Marvin Gaye was ridiculously, insanely once in once in a planet's lifetime talented. Right. Um, you know, you take all of the instrumentals away and hear just the vocal track that he put into that microphone. And it, as much respect as you have for Marvin Gaye, doesn't matter how much that, that, that numerical value is in your head goes up after you right. hear that. Yeah. It wasn't enough. <laughs> it definitely wasn't enough. Uh, yeah. So these guys, uh, they go out to the jungle and they find, uh, they finally, they finally find the gold. And, you know, what we, what we discover, of course, is that Otis has a bad hip and he is, he is, uh, taking medication. Um, and that, uh, you know, all of these guys are worried about the other guys. Um, and that it had probably been decades since most of them, it had probably been since the war, since all of them were together in the same space at the same time. But these guys, the bond that they have is that of brothers. The bond that they have is that of family. Um, and, and, you know, they'll bicker like family, but there was never that fear that it would get, it would go too far because they loved each other too much. Um, like that, that was great. And it was also, again, the performances, I believed it. Like I believed like these guys have known each other. And, you know, and, you know, Hollywood is big, but Hollywood is small. These guys may have, may know each other casually, um, for, for years. But if, and if they don't, they're hell of a, hell of a actors, uh, because they really led me to believe that they've known each other for 40, 50 years. Yeah. I don't think black Hollywood is that big. I, I am, would be shocked if they don't know each other, you know, and have run into each other like significantly. I would be surprised. Yeah. So yeah, I, I thought those performances were, were fantastic. And, you know, then, then we, we, we find the gold, David. And this is the other reason that David was so important. If David didn't take a need to take a crap, mm-hmm. they would have never, not only would they have not found the gold, they wouldn't have found Norm. So David was the most important character. Oh my God. Of the okay, entire look, film. Okay. Cicero, Cicero, <laughs> Cicero. It says, it says here in the chat, your, your screen name is David fan 69. Come on, yes. man. Like calm down. Okay. We get it. All right. Yes. Fine. Oh, actually, actually, actually maybe duh and defy bloods was really David. Yes. Maybe the duh was for See, David. That's right. There you go. Yeah. Now, now you yeah. figure yeah. it out. So there, there's, that, there's that galaxy brain thinking. There. Right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> David has five letters. It's the five bloods. Oh so, my God. Oh, third eye open. Boom. Ooh. Boom. Like and subscribe, y'all. We figured <laughs> right. it out. Right. So uh so David has to take a take a, a, a dump and uh then we wind up finding the gold. And we find the gold, we find Norman, we have a very touching moment where they pray over uh Norman's bones in, in a very spikely uh, type of way where, it, you know, like either they were going to pray over his bones or they were about to have a dance battle, uh, to celebrate little saint, um, from, uh, you got served or something like that. It was just, it was that same type of camera work. Um, 
but uh, I, I've really, I've really enjoyed those moments. Those moments were were touching in the ways that they were supposed to be. Um, how did how did they how did that sit with everyone else? I started tearing up when David was literally jumping up and down, saying he found the gold and calling his dad, like calling him dad. Like I'm a sucker for um, you know sibling and family like reconnections which is why i was a little disappointed by his uh character but that scene in like addition to like the scene on the boat where like uh where like uh, paul said i love you and then he said like you had, like you have a funny way of showing it right you know um <laughs> th- those two scenes you know are very very good and 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 and, and yeah because david was practically like squealing like he was like a kid yeah you know like he was like a kid, like telling him he beat a level on a video game or something. It was, it was very, very genuine and like very, very like beautiful. I remember being super scared though because um, it was a uh, Melvin that had the uh, the uh, metal the metal de- t- detector, right? I, Correct. I believe. Correct. Yes. Um, and he was not scanning around enough, man. I was like, yo, like yeah, they're gonna they're gonna lose some of that. <laughs> Yeah, like he had it, but it was almost like he was only looking for gold. They never made it clear that he was he understood that there might be mines there. So I thought there was a point right after they found the uh, first goal where he kind of walked off and right. and like he was like, "Hey y'all, I think that, that there's some more here." I thought for sure he was going to blow up right there. <laughs> yeah, same. This was the moment where I remembered there were mines. I was like, "Oh no." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so so yeah, it was it was weird metal detector usage. Yeah, Spike Lee subverting your expectations yet again. He did. He did. (laughs) We've been talking about the runtime of the movie and the fact that it is you know a nice long beefy two and a half hour movie. I feel like this moment of unbridled joy, smack dab in the middle of the movie, wouldn't land as well if this was a shorter movie, if we didn't have all the other context that we have, uh, we spent all this time with these characters. We know where they've come, where they came from. We know, we know that we have a long way to go with them. I feel like this little oasis of joy in the middle of this otherwise very heavy movie is a good thing. And that plays into the fact that this movie is really long and can take the time to have this joy. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, I think that's a a great point, Phil. uh, What'd you think of, these guys going back and forth. Oh yeah, the, the, it, it, this is a this is one of the the high points of the the picture. Uh, again, you get your Sierra Madre shout out, similar to Walter Houston doing his go go dance, and so uh, so uh, uh, yeah. But uh, the 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 fact that it's uh, father and son, uh, kind of briefly briefly attuned is is very nice one of the things that stood out to me between in in the uh performances between delroy lindo and and jonathan majors um it was it was these moments that really worked for me as as reef was kind of alluding to but like if after that moment after he's he's dancing around and they're looking for the gold pay attention from from that moment until we get to the moment right before Eddie dies of the way that David looks after Paul and the just the subtle things that he says um the, there was a level there was a, a a level of realness being the the parent of uh adult children seeing how they interact 
with and and how Delroy Lindo, how Paul interacted with David, those were those were very genuine moments to me um that that I thought really shine through. They were very subtle. They were things that you you definitely would miss or could miss. Um but I thought that they worked really, really well. Um there's a moment right as they're right when they're getting to the to the mind clearing where uh Paul's Paul's getting ready to set his sack down and he asks, he doesn't even ask. He, he tells David to help him with his, get a sack off and his, you know, and his son jumps up and he grabs, you know, he grabs the sack right off of his back. And then, and then, uh, Delroy says, or Paul says, uh, give me my water. And, and, you know, and, and sure enough, David just grabs it without saying anything. He just grabs it. And, and then, uh, gives his father the water, which, which seemed like something that either my father or, or a grandparent would definitely do to me if I was running around, walking around with them. Uh, so it, that rang really true to me. For a filmmaker like Spike Lee, who's so about hitting the viewer over the head with the point, uh, this is such a nuanced little detail uh, over the course of these scenes that I really appreciate uh, Spike and the actors putting in. So now we get to a very pivotal moment in, in the film. This is a uh, big, big time David payoff. Uh, this is the David appreciation moment um, where uh, we're, we're sitting down in this clearing that we, as the audience suspect something crazy is about to happen. The, the bloods are bickering uh, after Paul, uh, Paul has, Demanded that his son do these things for him and then demanded that the Bloods give his son his own fair share. And, and now we get the revelation from Eddie, uh, that, well, I guess right before that, we find out that Eddie is, has squandered all of his, his wealth, um, but still wants to give the money to the people, to, to black folks back home, like Norman wanted. And Eddie is now, done and walks backwards one step too many into an explosion it was quite something i would say what'd you guys think of uh half of eddie (laughs) (laughs) it's gruesome he he hung around for quite a while having just like just an esophagus, basically. I not gave a, it two hereditaries out of five. Yes. <laughs> not, a, not a great practical effect. I think that's no, going to be the most no. positive thing I have to say about it. Not a great positive uh, practical effect. It was no. gruesome, for sure. <laughs> it was uh, – so these. this is one of those moments that where I, I felt like the effects added to the comedy um, and, and brought levity to these heavy moments – that otherwise would have made this film tonally feel completely dour. And, you know, I don't know if, if it was intentional. It was but, not intentional. No, but, no. But it definitely, <laughs> yeah. it definitely, uh, you know, once, once I got beyond the gruesome aspect, the grotesque aspect of it, I, I just started laughing. I, I, I was grateful that almost immediately they, they switched from, from that scene, which for uh, both reasons of effects and, and whatnot wasn't entirely successful, to uh, David um, uh, standing on the landmine and realizing that uh, his goose is cooked if he uh, 
so much as uh, moves a hair because that is very well filmed and very tense and very um, audience wondering how they're going to get out of this. Oh my God. Just the sound design of that click. Mm-hmm. When you hear that click, it, it's, I mean that, and like the sound itself terrified me more than seeing him actually on it. It was just like a very well done, like, 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 like a sound effect. Brian, what did you, what did you take away from uh, just this grotesque, grotesque showing and and then the subsequent scene after i i i agree with you that there was some comedy in it and i wouldn't put it past spike lee to make a moment of intense gore uh a little funny but i also have very complicated feelings about gore as humor and some of the movies that do it like uh sam raimi's movies things like that um but i appreciated the moment where oh god poops about to get real uh i was watching with subtitles so as he's stepping backwards and yelling money is the root of all evil you see a hyphen cutting him off and i thought oh Uh, this uh, is where the mind's gonna be right (laughs) like a split second ahead spoiler for me oh my god the tension of uh, quite literally of the rope uh pulling uh pulling him off of the mind uh (laughs) the, the tension of the scene as they're dragging it out slowly and making sure that everyone's getting in position to like pull off this one five second maneuver that needs to go perfectly and then um the uh, again more historical context for the very famous runner uh, that went to uh, morehouse um boy i i thought this scene was artfully done uh, i i had to watch this movie in two sittings because of this scene i had to take a break for 20 minutes <laughs> and then come back intense. to it yeah it was intense yeah the intensity of the tension before uh before the explosion then with the landmine but also you know again a a lot of what i'll have to say is about delroy lindo's performance to see the fear and the courage in the eyes of a of a father as he is trying to save his son using trying to show a, a son that that he knows believes he doesn't love him trying to show him through stuff that conversations that they've had in the past that he does um in in this conversation about where he went to school and uh you know the presumption is in this conversation that that uh david when he went to morehouse ran track and and that this uh edward moses this two-time olympic gold medalist was uh an idol when he was thinking about going to Morehouse that him and his father talked about and they had, this was the pep talk about flying like Moses um, to see that happening uh, yeah. and, and to feel, to feel that tension and to feel that love and warmth uh, and pride and where you came from and who you were going to be and the man that you have become uh, and, and uh, the, the guttural, roar and growl of of paul as he embraces his son you know right after the explosion um, yeah. and then to have that immediately switch to to him uh becoming the paranoid uh commander of this of this army platoon that is under siege in his eyes uh, was was quite remarkable. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, you're you're right. Like that same like sort of childlike intensity that I really liked when David found the goal, when he like ran to him and they hugged, and just the 
just the emoting they were doing, like not even the words they were saying, like it was very raw and very, very like visceral. And I really thought like, wow, this is David's point. Like this is his character. Like he is, you know, kind of showing, you know, he's like help, helping Delroy on, 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 on sorry, help, help, helping Paul on his way, I guess, which is why I was, um, um, I loved all these parts that he was in, but as we'll talk about with the rest of the movie, that's why I was so disappointed in what happened to Paul after that. Cause I was like, man, like what's David here for? You know what I'm saying? So, right. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. So yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was a very cool moment. Moises, uh, what did you, what did you think of, uh, Paul and, and Delroy's uh, performance partic- in particular in the scene? The, the beautiful thing about it is the shorthanding. Um, we get the reference, uh, you know, to flying like Moses, we get that, uh, you know, microscopically explained for us, um, if we wouldn't have ordinarily gotten it. Um, but everything that I was missing between the two of them up to this point immediately got filled in. And that was the beauty of the scene for me is that I was able to live and feel and like get that matrix style instant download of, <laughs> Oh, I get all of this. Like I got told it earlier and I got to feel it right in this bit um, where you really get the core of their relationship in the way that you get, you know, the four living bloods, you get their relationship to each other earlier on. This is where you get Paul and his son. Um, all of that concentrate right all at once. I know family dynamics. Uh, so, uh, yeah, Brian, what did you, did you, any thoughts on this? this uh change in focus from from paul the moment where we see his trumpism coming in with listen these people could be working for the vc and using the term vc and not using it for venture capital and (laughs) um, seeing like his individualism come in uh into play and really separate himself out from the five bloods even though the again the original goal of this whole endeavor is black solidarity and right. rebuilding black wealth is really heartbreaking right. to see. Yeah. There, there's an interesting uh, contrast to be drawn between Paul and Norman. Um, Cause one could argue that uh, perhaps of all of them, uh, Paul felt the closest to Norman or it certainly had the connection of, of being the one with Norman when he died. Right. And there's elements where you see he wants to become the, the leader that Norman was and there's just something about his own personality that he can't quite reach that point of selflessness. And, uh, and I think that that kind of tears him up a little bit. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I think, I think that's, yeah, great point. Um, So we see Paul uh, take the, the heady and uh, Sappo and Simon hostage uh, he coerces David into tying up his potential love interest that never was Hetty. Uh, and, uh, she, she, uh, despises, despises him at this moment, which I didn't really kind of understand. Uh, like I get you're upset with him, but you see that this guy is clearly crazy. His dad is, is nuts. So, uh, you might as well just do what he wants you to do. Uh, and, and they take them on a, a little tour of as they're returning back, I guess another day, day and night cycle, um, where they're sometimes tied up, but then, then other times they're able to walk around free. 
Uh, I'm not exactly sure how uh, kidnapping works, apparently. Uh, <laughs> and uh, they they wind up, uh, or, or I guess there's a gun. I forgot about the gun, right? So yes. uh, Otis has a gun. Everyone finds out that Otis has a gun. They give the gun to Paul. Uh, Paul uses Why? the gun. Why? Be- because... Paul is the de facto leader, right, guys? Well, not well, the, the, the leader. The leader being defined as the most mentally unstable person in the group. <laughs> yes. Well, the one who's loudest and can control the room. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like uh, the, the, that part to me was a big question mark, even when I first saw the movie and didn't know what like happened. So like Otis got the gun from like Tien and she basically insinuated that gold sometimes can bring brothers apart. So she was kind of like, yo, you might have to take the gold and defend yourself from these guys. And he took it when I was like, wow, like he's actually kind of buying into this. And then um, I think it's Eddie that finds the gun, I think, because they're arguing about whatever yes. kind of off off mosquito spray they have. Yes. And, and yes. then the first thing that he does is he goes to Paul, who already at this point is pretty unstable. Like, I just don't understand why they chose him to hold it. Like, that just – I still don't understand that decision unless they – sort of already had and and like i i didn't get that they already had that hierarchy like it didn't seem like that hierarchy exists in that friendship group that i'd seen in the movie that he would be like the one that they would um kind of give the gun to so i don't know if i missed it or it, it just seemed to me like they only put that there so that he could have the gun later you know for the kidnapping part like it, it, it just seemed like it didn't really follow for me. I will say that they do kind of intimate this, but again, here's one of the problems with this film, much like uh, David's relationship with the complexity of David's relationship with Paul. Um, we also find out later in the, in the final flashback where uh, Paul accidentally kills Norman that when he runs over to Melvin, he or to Otis, he says that Norman is down, he's KIA, and he assumed command. So at some point, I guess whatever the hierarchy was, it was already assumed oh, that the the second, the next in command was was okay. Paul. Um, okay, but but again, in in that doesn't happen until he splits up from the group. So that's not something. So if that's a question that you have in your brain earlier in the film, that that question doesn't get answered until much later in the film. And it makes everything that's happened before it way too confusing or nonsensical. Yeah, it it, it just seemed like it was a de- it was a device to get the gun in Paul's hand so that when he lost it, he would be more scary. Like, that's what it felt like to me after watching it twice yeah uh, i don't i don't necessarily disagree uh so uh yeah so the so while they're camped over at night uh they they distract paul otis hits him over the head with a two by four they wrestle the gun away from him uh david was was an accomplice and so now he feels betrayed by everyone and they're all upset uh seems like friendships are are broken eddie is dead and they're making their way back to vin um they finally get to vin and vin asks them uh so uh did you have a great adventure uh 
<laughs> which, which, uh, it's the understatement of the generation, I think. Yeah, yeah they also lie about Eddie. Oh, he yeah. broke his foot. He, he, he insisted we go on. Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll yeah. call for help later. That lie lasts for about three seconds. Right, before right, exactly. Him. <laughs> yeah, right. Mm-hmm. yeah, uh, yeah, so, uh, Where's Eddie? Oh, he's he stayed back. Don't worry about him. He hurt himself. <laughs> oh, well, let me help because I really like you guys. Oh no, how how about do you want to make the most money you've ever made in your entire life? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> uh, so, uh, oh yeah, I guess a a, a huge bit of uh, plot information that we left out was uh, rewind back to when they got the gold. They peer off for a second. Another part of the gumbo is. Uh, these two Vietnamese guys in the hills that are watching them collect the gold. And then when they have these guys kidnapped, Seppo, uh, the Frenchman who, who had all the derogatory stuff to say about the Americans runs off in the, in the confusion. And then those same two guys, along with a bunch of their friends now have Seppo captured and are demanding the gold. This leads to yet another weird exchange about uh, uh, what possession is, Um, you know, like why this gold belonged to them. Now, the gold was initially supposed to go to the Lahu people. Does anyone know if these guys were part of that, like descendants of the Lahu? Oh, no, I don't think so at all. I think they were just hired by the French guy to get the gold. I don't think they had any. I mean, I didn't get a sense that they had any like connection to that. I think they're. I think they were just like mercenaries. Yeah, because otherwise, this group of people who knew about the gold and uh, the roach, <laughs> uh, yes. I, I can't think of another way uh, they would have become in cahoots with each other unless he hired these people to uh, go after them. Yeah, I guess it's confusing that they wound up doing. Uh, doing the bit where he's there, those guys are following them. They knew exactly where they were going to be. And, and then having them kidnap, uh, Sapo, uh, just made it, made it worse and a little bit more confusing. But then I guess Sapo doesn't really matter. Right. Because, uh, a few minutes later, Sapo gets the Eddie treatment. Um, Well, he died doing what he loved, which was right. clearing away mines. Right. <laughs> yeah, what a what a what a useless character. Yes. Yeah, I, well, I was expecting I was expecting more out of him because of the role he plays in Black Klansman, right. where I was like, "Hey, it's the Finnish guy. Oh, things are gonna get crazy. Maybe he's not really. A, oh, I know he really is just a landmine activist that the French lady uses for sex occasionally." Huh. Yep. Yeah. Okay. And, and All right. Exactly what he said on the label. All right. Right. <laughs> this exchange was again very tense. You were wondering exactly how they were going to get out of it. Um, it was interesting that they that uh, the Americans decided to uh, flaunt the fact that they are Americans as a way to get out of it, but they did, and it seemed to work up until a point um, where they were going to get grifted out of their gold with one bar and this is where i thought otis was going to die um because he was he was talking real tough and then seppo creates a distraction that creates chaos and chaos ensues 
this was like the first of the third act action sequences. What did you guys think of this? I know Sharif, you, you said that you had a problem with, uh, the, you, you felt like some of the violence was gratuitous. Did you feel that way about this as well? No, I didn't think this was like gratuitous. I thought this was like sort of, you know, I, I thought, cause I was like very suspicious of Tien and DeRoche the whole time. So I, I thought that this was actually like a story beat that followed up on that before. So I didn't think this was like gratuitous at all. Um, and like it, it was also, it wasn't like extended. Um, I felt like, you know, it was, it showed like the stakes and the dangers of g- trusting a person you haven't talked to in 20 years, 25 years to end and trying to, you know, smuggle stuff that's not yours. Like you kind of reap what you sow, you know? So I, I, I thought this was actually a, 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 a good scene. That was a good scene. I agree with you, Sharif, that we could have cut the first big action sequence in the middle of the first flashback, but I believe that only because it would have made this first real modern combat scene, it would have given it more weight to have had, okay, this is the first time uh, any right. of these people have seen combat in you know 40 years, and I really appreciate that it was short, it was clumsy, it was dirty, it was bloody. It wasn't like a glamorous action sequence like the <laughs> flashback action sequences. This is one where you know we were able to see that these people are completely out of training as much as you know some of them would like to think they know what they're doing. Um, one of the other things that happens in this is uh, during the uh, Vietnamese soldiers' uh, uh, monologue about how how badly the Americans treated them during the war. Uh, we get some more archival footage and uh, some more stills peppered throughout their thing, uh, their their monologue in a very gruesome way. Lots of pictures of dead bodies, including the very final one is an uncomfortably long still of a dead child uh, that hangs out on the screen for a while, which I give four hereditaries out of five. <laughs> right. um, Jesus, it was difficult to watch. And I, I appreciate that moment again as uh, Spike Lee, as the god of this movie, kind of siding with the Vietnamese people in this moment where like the Americans talking about what their role in things are. They don't get any sympathetic images of how Vietnamese treated them. Yes. I wonder how much of the clumsiness was was by intention or just because of the fact that for all his strengths as a filmmaker, I'm not sure that filming action sequences is one of uh, Spike Lee's strengths. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, I, I mean, I think there is there is definitely uh, some credence to that. And and uh, they didn't have to wait long for them to see their next bit of combat. Uh, so uh, Paul decides. Uh, at the last moment. Oh, well, I guess in that moment, in this, in this gunfight, this action sequence, all but one of the Vietnamese fighters, uh, that were attacking them, uh, get, get killed. Uh, the one gets away in the Jeep and, uh, David gets shot in the leg and is being treated by Uncle Otis, his godfather and Paul, the final synapse snaps for Paul and he decides to take off after first caring for and then denouncing his son. Um, he said that his son stabbed him in the back and he was going to go walk 20 miles in the bush to make his way to some city and steal a bite, uh, steal a boat and make his way home with his share. Uh, and he starts wailing uh when he leaves uh and it's then starts quoting the bible i thought this may have been the last we saw of delroy lindo 
in in this film. I'm glad it wasn't. Um, yeah, what did you guys think of his exit from the Five Bloods? Well, the the, the movie works best when it's when it's examining trauma and un, untreated trauma. And there's no trauma quite as untreated as Paul's. This is him having his reckoning with that, and it's a, a very emotionally powerful scene. I think. Yeah, I love the fact that um, he trips and his gold gets stuck up on the <laughs> yes, tree. Yes. <laughs> and like he's kind of reaching up to it and then he's just like, that's yours, Norm. You know, I, I, I thought that was a really cool touch. Like I thought that like that was th- 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 that, that was like very cool to me. Um, also, I, I don't know if I should have laughed, but when, when he <laughs> shot up that snake... <laughs> <laughs> it was hilarious like i don't think it was supposed to be funny like he's supposed to be losing his grip on reality but that was hilarious and i was yeah. laughing very loudly yeah because it comes right after this moment where he's like you're not gonna kill me after three tours here you know i'm gonna survive this you can't kill me now and then a snake bites him and it's like okay right. well nature just kind of reared its ugly head and bit you so i don't know what to tell you <laughs> yeah he, he gets that beautiful opportunity direct to camera you know, speaking directly to the audience, passionate, you know, great performance. And then ah, snake. (laughs) (laughs) It's, it's well done by spike. We get another spike ism, uh, where, where, you know, we go, we go full spike, uh, with, with the, the Delroy Lindo monologue, uh, there where he's, he's kind of giving, giving us his exposition about, what he's going to do and what Paul's all about and how Paul can't be conquered. And then, you know, and yes, and then he gets his comeuppance and then winds up having, having the revelations of all revelations where we, we discover that uh, it was him who killed his brother, uh, their leader, Storm and Norman, did did everyone see that one coming or, or was anyone surprised by this? Uh, I was I was a little surprised. I mean, I, I I knew that there was something to Norm. Like there had to be some other story beat with him. Um I thought it might have been something a little more duplicitous, like he intentionally killed him or something like that. You know, I was a little surprised that it was just like a friendly fire thing that is kind of like expected in the fog of war. Um you know, uh, so, so, uh, so, so yeah, like him, like carrying that guilt, um, while I don't think that's the only reason he ended up the way he is like that combined with Jacqueline combined with not dealing with his, with his like PTSD. Cause he said that he never went to the doctor or psychiatrist. I, I, I just feel like that was yet another thing to sort of explain this buildup that finally sort of exploded, you know, um, at the, at at that point, I do like that he was able to, I guess, reconcile in his mind with Norm. You know, I thought that like that was a pretty cool scene um, with them just like hugging in the light. I thought that that was pretty cool. Um, but yeah, um, bye bye, Paul. <laughs> Chadwick Boseman uh, broke out of these uh, sixteen millimeter film segments of the film, which was nice. Yes, yes, exactly. We got to see him in uh, beautiful HD. <laughs> <laughs> He had this revelation, and we, as the audience, had this revelation away from the rest of the cast. And I think it's telling that we don't get the moment of reckoning where everyone else gets to descend on him and say, wait, what the F? You are the one that killed him? Why didn't you tell any of us? Ah, And I think that 
is one of the the like final nail in the coffin of Paul's individualism and separation from everyone else is that he has this moment completely alone and without everyone else to process with him. I don't know how the movie would have been different if this had happened, you know, 15 minutes earlier and he just like couldn't deal with the guilt anymore and it came out and there was a big fight or something. But I appreciate that we get this moment alone with him. And I think it's an interesting way to uh, show how he died. Uh, yeah. So, uh, you know, we, we get to see how, uh, Norman died. Uh, and then we get to see how Paul dies, uh, digging his own grave and, uh, the Vietnamese exacting their revenge on him. And, and it, this screamed, uh, the end of training day to me. This was a very, the, like the triumphant villain murder um in in uh, in that way it was maybe too grandiose for the moment do you guys did it did it sit right with you guys or am i just bugging i thought it was fine i i, I didn't have any problems with it i mean like i said i don't think that uh the mercenaries had any goal but to get the gold um so the fact that they didn't i thought was actually a pretty cool touch like they just shot this guy to kind of cover up their tracks, but I don't think they like hated Paul or had any thing against him. So I think the fact that he, you know, went down in his own way, I thought was a pretty fitting end. Yeah. I, I definitely felt like, uh, well, one of the dudes, one of the guys that was killed on the road was, had some from a family connection with, with the, the lead Vietnamese dude that, that killed Paul because uh, he went over to him and said something and, and cried a little. Uh, so they were at least friends, but yeah, it, it felt very Shakespearean. It felt very grandiose. Um, to me, that was mo- one of the moments where I felt like I was watching a movie as opposed to someone just like, I just happened to uh, peek in on a story that was happening. Um, if, if that makes any sense to anyone. For me, it, like the, the pageantry of it, for lack of a better term, it felt incredibly fitting with the way that he would want to go out. Um, sure. In, 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 in a way that he didn't necessarily get to choose, if that makes sense. Right. Um, you know, being cornered and being on the, the, the wrong end of the stick, um, you know, that's, precisely how Paul would want to go out. Uh, and uh, so then we we move on to the old bloods, the new bloods, and then uh, the blood cousins who uh, who wind up also getting a share. So the two lamb members and Vin also wind up getting uh, a chance to hold their gold at this, the, the last stand at some temple. Um, great, great moment in, in that, in that scene was, uh, was Melvin saying to Otis, damn Otis, just put the gold on Craigslist after he's just giving everybody. <laughs> uh, that was a great line. I wrote that down. That was, uh, really, really funny. But, you know, now we get another opportunity for these guys to show, uh, that, they were soldiers and, and, you know, it was kind of like an A-team 
like if the A team was R rated and and still shot in the eighties, that's <laughs> that's what I felt like this third act was like. Uh, you know, where they they had some subterfuge and uh, and and then these guys these guys get to attack and you know, and then we get to see Jean Renault. Uh, he he's just trying to eat up eat up villainy. You know, he's trying to he's trying to be the the biggest villain in in the in the game. Uh, what did you guys make of the scene when we visited the temple? It was like that moment in a video game where you walk in and say, "Oh, this is where a boss battle is going to be." Yes. I really love the way this was laid out <laughs> yes. and uh, seeing how uh, this big confrontation happens and how they try their best to plan and orchestrate you know their one advantage which is surprise we have a few extra people on our side uh and we have this cover in this temple i really appreciated the like war movie logistics of it even though i agree uh, that this isn't necessarily a war movie the big emotional payoff of the end of this third act is a big old shootout in vietnam which feels fitting yeah it it like definitely kind of went into the kind of western theme of the movie like the western kind of influence the sort of like gunfight at the okay corral kind of thing i love the fact that um that like deroche tended to be a very hands-on villain i kind of thought that he'd be like the type to just send his mercenaries and kind of sit in the back but like he was like nah i'm getting in there you know? <laughs> he doesn't pick up the gold though which is he just sends someone to come yes. closer to than him and then <laughs> right. pick up the gold dump it out realize it's rocks right. hands on in that way hands off right. in others right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah exactly Hand, hands on in that he wants to personally execute otis um right. you know and yeah i mean it, it, it was i mean i can't lie they succeeded in they kind of needed a bigger villain than i feel like these like morally like duplicitous um like ex-soldiers and i think that they succeeded you know like um as as i said before i i i found it kind of hard to root for the main characters as heroes but they definitely made me root against this guy as a villain for sure (laughs) so when he got his uh comeuppance from i believe david's first time ever shooting a gun yes i think he said pretty good shot yes first time ever shooting a gun batting a thousand yeah yeah (laughs) Yeah. With a bullet wound. Yeah, 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 exactly. With a bad leg. And, and yeah. being held up by a French lady. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's, you know, it's all of those elements together that uh, led to his, his aim being true. Yeah, Jean, Jean Reno's good at, 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 at being able to just make people instantly hate him if, if he needs to. Um, and uh, yeah, like, I, I, I was glad that by this point of the movie, even though early on I wasn't able to root for these guys in the traditional sense, the way that, that, that Sharif said, I was able to root for them all along in, in kind of, you know, finding, finding the right level of peace and, and enlightenment that they needed because they definitely didn't start there. They were, they, they left Vietnam saying that they were going to do things for the right reasons and they returned to Vietnam not to do things for the right reasons. And, you know, at this point, like I, we've, you know, we've already lost a couple guys. Um, I, like I, I felt better about our protagonists, our good guys, our main dudes. Um, but yeah, it took, it took the length of the movie for us to get there. Um, poor Eddie, poor Eddie. Yeah. Well, you know, again, uh, like I said, there's, there was nothing that, Spike left on left on the counter. He threw it all in the pot because earlier in the film, Eddie says, 
or uh not Eddie, uh Melvin. Melvin says that he won't uh he's not gonna jump on a stupid grenade. And then Melvin jumps on the grenade. Uh and uh that that uh when DeRoche falls out of the car, they explicitly show that he's got his his Derringer style pistol and this this French grenade uh in his hand so that they could they could use both of those things. Yeah, it was it was definitely kind of like the end of like a Call of Duty game. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Which is not to like disparage it. I mean, I I went into this movie figuring there'd be at least one like we're still soldiers moment. You know? right. Um and as as I said before, they succeeded in making him a somebody to root against. So I'm I'm glad that it was him involved in uh in in that moment. I screamed when he jumped on the grenade. That was such a shocking moment that I didn't expect at all. And again, yeah, in hindsight, like you said, if they set it up early in the movie and, uh, and then he actually does what he says he would never do. And I, I appreciate that moment now looking back on it. And I also appreciate the shock of one of these people jumping onto a grenade like that. Plus it's the goodwill that Isaiah Whitlock uh, inspires in people when, when you see him on screen. So. Oh yeah. Oh, no, also not true. him. Right. <laughs> also true. <laughs> I had a different reaction. I I, I just screamed, she. <laughs> uh, yeah. So he he had a real powerful moment uh, right before that uh, when he he's uh, Melvin's giving the gun Otis's gun to David, and and David's asking him if he's gonna be all right if you know, and and he just turns and he looks at him and he says, "Say my first time in Vietnam," and and you remember like you're, you're always fully aware of the fact that these guys were GIs, but like, but now, you know, now you realize that, Oh yeah, they, they were soldiers. And now that they're not going to be surprised and they can be prepared. A lot of that training comes back. A lot of the, the, uh, what was clumsy in the shootout that happened 20 minutes before is now uh, calculated and planned and skilled um, this time around, even though it's been 50 years since since they actually had to do this for real. Um, so, I, you know, I love that fact. Otis gets shot. He's not mortally wounded. He is saved from the the uh, blast of the grenade by Melvin's sacrifice. And DeRoche is about to kill him, but David firing the greatest marksman of all time. Um, he has never missed a shot, kills DeRoche, <laughs> and we get a, uh, a montage of what everybody's doing now. So Eddie's money goes to Black Lives Matter. They have a nice little chant about it, and that's really cool. Hetty opens up, Hetty and Simon get together and they create a uh, charity in Seppo's name. Um, Otis hangs out with his daughter and David gets to read a, um, a letter from his dad that says he actually loved them. How, how were you guys satisfied with, with the way this, the film ended um, Norman, uh, getting to see the, or, or his sisters getting his body, his remains. Um, the rest of them, ironically enough, are still just lost, uh, in, in Vietnam. What did, what did you guys think of, of how it sold? I, I think it tied everything 
it ties everything together very nicely at the end. So that's satisfying from a narrative standpoint. It also helps that you have uh, uh, Delroy Lindo delivering emotional punches uh, <laughs> to you as, as you uh, fade to the credits. I love a good where are they now montage, and this one's pretty good. Uh, it it's a nice way to celebrate the joy and life of these people that we spent so long with that are that are dead. Some of them are dead, some of them are alive, and we get to see that joy expressed both through flashbacks where they were happy and through money. The joy of having enough money finally. <laughs> yeah, I love that near the beginning of the movie in the bar, Melvin showed everybody a picture of his wife and uh, son. And then you see them get the check. Uh, you know, that, that was a nice, like, kind of like a yeah. like, wraparound thing. I don't know. I, I felt some way about Otis uh, reconnecting with the, Tien and his daughter. Um, I don't know. It just didn't feel earned to me. But I agree that it wrapped up everything nice. But, but I guess to my sort of bias, to my bias of them feeling like they weren't really heroes. I feel like it wrapped up a little too nice in some <laughs> for some people. Like like Otis should have lost some fingers or something. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it's the I mean uh I know that a movie did it before Animal House, but it's it's the Animal House ending. It's the and then <laughs> Senator Robert Blutarski. Um you know, you you wrap everything up with everybody and you know, this is where things went from there. Um you know, uh, some of the some of the more over the top moves um you know, in, in terms of, of, of what he decided to do where throughout the movie continues here. It's, it's of a piece with everything that came before it. Um, you know, I enjoyed that we, that we did get the, you know, Spike Lee trademark shot that is in every single one of his movies. Um, and you know, it was Otis and his daughter and yeah, it it was, it was like, I, I liked that relationship, but I didn't, I like. I wouldn't say that it didn't feel earned, but it, it was. It was like I wanted more for it to, for it to really, really work. Uh, I don't even know how to articulate what I'm trying to say, but it, just, it was. It was missing something um, for me. Um, but the, in terms of an ending and wrapping stuff up like that, that functioned totally fine. But it's it's like where we got more development in other directions. Um, that that bit was kind of left hanging way earlier on and this was just kind of tagging back on that and it it would have it would have been nice for there to be some more substance behind that if if there was one thing that i that i was really missing from the ending it was the fact that uh we didn't get a scene of hetty and david together on the the champs delisi so um poor melvin poor one out for melvin uh so you know guys that's i mean that's the film we did it uh we 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 talked over it we talked about it um any last thoughts uh i'll start with you phil yeah i i i I think it's a very enjoyable movie i think if you're you've got netflix and you've been putting off watching it uh, carve out the time to do so um it's um especially if you've uh liked uh spike lee's recent uh run of movies including black clansman because this is uh uh very much in that vein i i felt uh brian what what did you think of 
the five bloods i really enjoyed it and i'm excited to revisit it uh the one thing that i want to shout out that we uh we haven't talked about yet is the aspect ratio changes we talked about hd versus 16 millimeter but dear god give me a good mid-scene artsy you know aspect ratio change there's a moment in one of the shootouts uh when paul is realizing he's back in the for the first time in years And we see it. We see it go from sixteen by nine to four by three as he's closing his eyes and reminiscing. And uh, as a uh, a film student, that's one of my favorite things that anyone can do in any film or TV show. So I absolutely appreciate that Spike Lee pulled it off. But yeah, yeah. I absolutely recommend if if you've gotten this far and haven't seen it, then woof. right. Uh, but uh, <laughs> no, this is a wonderful movie, and I'm excited to uh, revisit it and uh, dig even deeper into all the stuff we talked about. Uh, Moises, um, Brian, Brian stole my aspect ratio fetishization. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, no, it's all right. Cause I can, I can just yes. And it, I, you know, I love a nice jump from, from, uh, from 1.85 to 2.39 to 1.33. I love them decimal points. Um, <laughs> yeah, it, it just, uh, playing with aspect ratios and playing with different, different kinds of stock is delightful. You know, the opportunity to see a bunch of these actors, hanging out and doing hangout dialogue and hangout scenes and that kind of thing is something that uh, generally actors of a different skin complexion are the, are the ones that are allowed to do that in movies. And it is sad that we are two decades into the 21st century. And I'm still saying that Um, it's just dumb at this point um, that that this is a unique thing, Uh, but that does not make me appreciate it any less. Um, I, I just wish that one dude had found somebody to sell that chicken to. That's that's the one thing I'm missing. <laughs> uh, Sharif, uh, well, any anything we missed? Any final thoughts? No, as 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 I said, I have my issues with it, but overall, it was good. Uh, speaking of that, like that, chi- that like chicken scene, um, I didn't think there was a need for the uh, like the racial epithets that they had in the movie. Um, I know that they were trying to show Paul as, you know, something, you know, to kind of make him different, especially with the MAGA hat and such. But, um, uh, uh, again, I think that when there's so few movies with Asian representation and when I think that like this movie, you know, could have done a better job with the, with the, uh, characters, I think that like, you know, like, uh, putting in those uh, words and those terms does make those sting a little more like for me at least. So um, I get why they're in there. I just don't, you know, I, I just think that they're a little like egregious and, um, you know, t- you know, can, can be deleted and you get like the same point from, f- from that. Um, otherwise. Yeah. I, I, I think if you're even remotely interested either in the Vietnam war or like in like a Spike Lee movie, I think you should absolutely um, check it out and see, see, see how it works for, for, um, for um, you. You know, I can tell that like I think that, I think that this movie will probably generally get pretty good like reviews. Um, you know, but um, yeah, I'll I'll I'll, I'll be curious to like I talk about this with uh, more people. Yeah, and uh, I I think that uh, this this film is important. Um, and you know, I, I kind of hate to to sound like that but uh but it is i think it is it's it's a film that will that you go in thinking it's one thing and you come out realizing that it it is 
in very much in in very uh, in some very heavy respects very much that the film that you thought it was but also in some really important effect uh respects it is the film that you didn't expect it to be uh and uh and i i fully expect at the very least that delroy lindo when it comes time for uh award season is is nominated and should win some awards for his performance in this film uh as well as uh, I, I would love to see it nominated for cinematography and for the score. I think I think they were were both phenomenal. Um, but uh, yeah, if you stuck around for our podcast, thank you very much. It almost ran the entire length of the film. Uh, it's a commentary, <laughs> so congratulations. That uh, means we did it right. Is, we, <laughs> is what it means. Uh, so um, you know, thank you to my blood brothers. We are now bloods. That means when we see each other, we have to do the handshake. Um, so start, <laughs> start practicing now. Uh, Good luck. Yeah, Sharif Jackson, uh, ready to pound it out, my brother. <laughs> <laughs> I can pound it out for sure. So you can find me at uh, SharifJackson.com, S-H-A-R-E-F Jackson.com. Um, and also like Sharif Jackson on all social networks. Um, I'm currently part of Rivals of Waterdeep, the uh, weekly D&D podcast, which you can find at twitch.tv slash dnd or or, 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 or on the youtube page <laughs> and on the audio podcast the uh, dm is questionable but i promise that the rest of the cast make up for it so check it out <laughs> shreve jackson is the dm of rivals of Waterdeep this season uh so <laughs> moises chulian thank you very much for uh showing up sir I've got I've got four more weeks of uh, demigod camp uh, at Camp Half Blood Austin, and I hope I survive and don't step on any landmines. All right, well, well, I'll, you know the gold is a, the gold is your reward at the end of that. So gold changes a man, man. Brian Hamilton, uh, do you have your gold on Craigslist? Yes, uh, the link will be in the description. No, uh, thanks so much for having me, Cicero. Um, you can find me on the podcast Most Important Meal, where my partner and I talk about breakfast food and love. It's really cute. That it is. Love, love is cute. <laughs> uh, love is everything. <laughs> Philip Michaels, <laughs> how are you, sir? Well, since bloods don't die, they multiply. You've got about uh, 20 more people to uh, sign off with. So uh, <laughs> uh, uh, I'll keep this quick. I'm I'm on Twitter with my name is my handle, Philip Michaels. And you can listen to me talk about Magnum P.I. on a weekly basis with uh, other lesser uh, people in the incomparable network. <laughs> well, uh, well, you know, I mean, but they all have strong mustaches. So yes, they do. That That is that's what's most important. Uh, and guys, I'm Cicero Holmes, and this has been the Incomparable Review uh, commentary track for The Five Bloods on Netflix. I uh, hope you enjoyed it, and uh, we'll talk to you later. Take care. Take care.